EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Olya Jordanian, an EU Futures Project Coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is April 3rd, and I talk to Isabel Shayani, a German journalist who produces TV programs for refugees. My name is Isabel Shayani. Um, I live in Cologne, which apparently is in the middle of Europe. I'm a journalist. Um, I've been working for television for about 20 years, I believe, for public German television, a channel called ARD, and the regional, the federal system I'm attached to is called WDR. And it's about a year and a half now that I'm <clears throat> responsible for a channel which is called WDR for You, and we are producing program to and for refugees in Germany. What is the future emerging in Europe now? Well, today as we speak, there's about a month and then I think we're going to have a crucial day because on the 7th of May um, are the, it's the second round of the French election and if the French majority votes for uh, the Front National, for Le Pen, I think this will be a very crucial moment for Europe because in case she gets the majority, in case, which we do not know, but we hope she won't, or at least I hope she won't, if she gets the majority, I think this could be the end of Europe. Because then France would leave the European Union, then France would also um, leave the European currency, and we would have one of the three, uh, one of the main protagonists of the old Europe, which would leave the big construction, the big house of the European Union, and I think that could be the end of it. So I can't think, and you, you were asking in a, in, a, in a very wide way, so I can't tell you what's going to happen in the next one, two, five, ten years, because right now I think as things are progressing so fast and as things are going forward so fast, I don't think we can look much forward than, let's say, a year. Maybe, maybe a year. A year is a long time. A year even now appears to be eternity when it comes to politics. Now, when we talk about migration, I think that's different. Can you tell us a little bit about your project you started for refugees? Yes, I happily do so. Um, so I was um, the New York correspondent or one of the New York correspondents for ARD. And I returned to Germany on October 2nd, 2015. And for me, because this might also be an American audience, for me it's very important to say that I had learned a big lesson here in the US. My big lesson was that I saw you here in the US think about reality and then make things. I learned the word maker, which seems so simple, but at the same time it makes a huge difference because here, People get a lot of respect if they do something. Even if they fail, they don't mind. But getting up and doing something is something Americans really respect. And this is something I learned here. In Germany, if you do something, the second thought is always, well, what if you fail? You could, you could, it could be embarrassing or something. And it stops us from doing a lot of things. So when I came back to Germany, the situation was as such that we were, I would say, we have had a humanitarian crisis. So at that point, it was a special momentum. You did not have time to think about what if we fail, you were just to do. 
And so we were in a very luxurious situation before. We were sort of sitting on our couches and sofas in front of television, watching the reality somewhere else in Africa, Syria, wherever. And now suddenly this reality had come to us. So we thought of what could we do? This was a momentum. And so we thought that, well, we might, uh, we could not reach the refugees through radio because they don't have a radio with them. They just have probably one backpack. Uh, we cannot possibly reach them through television. So what we could reach them through was their mobile phones, which everybody has and would be the first thing they would grab out once they arrived somewhere. So um, we started within a pretty short time um, a Facebook channel, channel in the sense that we post regularly every day, two to three or four times news, um, education, entertainment, anything that we thought might be of interest for this particular group and also for the other people who are helping them because you have to know there is not just the refugees that have come and changed Germany but there is also a great amount of people civil society that is reaching out to them and even though maybe in foreign countries people might think that well they have probably disappeared after what has happened after New Year's Eve Eve you have to know that there is at least that's the official numbers roughly about six million people who are still engaged so I think this is quite a movement so the program we are doing is both uh, trying to reach those people who are new arrivers in Germany, who might stay if they're accepted. If they don't, if they are not going to be accepted, they have to leave the country, or and those who are helping them. So what we do is we first of all we give them an information about the legal framework. Um, how do laws change? Because everybody's talking about refugees, but is not talking to them. So we explain it to them. That's one point. The other point is we try to explain them how German, how you get along in German everyday life. Like how do you get a driving license? What do you do if you're pregnant? Uh, how do you find a job? Which is very essential. Basic things you want to learn if you're in a new society, which a lot of listeners might also know if they have just come to the U.S. They like need some orientation. We also tried to do some entertainment because we thought we cannot always talk about serious issues. And then what we do pretty um, successfully is live streams on Facebook. So we um, live stream like we have an expert there and then refugees can ask questions. Last week we had an expert, she was talking about trauma because a lot of people come and they have went through trauma or are traumatized and at least you can give some general guidance in what the definition of trauma is so that people simply know they're not crazy. I think this is important. What we also did was we did a cooking show, so we went into an asylum, an, 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 um, asylum shelter and we invited refugees, a refugee cook, to present his food and so we would cook this together and then share it. To not always be as heavy and, and, and sad and to also give them some relief. Yeah, that's what we do. And right now I can say that we reach up to 2 million people. And I can also say that we have subscribers more than a quarter of a million. Is it a free portal? Is it a free yes, it's company? Facebook. You can you can subscribe to it. You can just like it. WDR for you and you can like it and then you're in this world. And it's always bilingual. So as we have um, three big groups, we have Syrians, we have Iraqi, uh, and then we have people from Afghanistan. We are always bilingual, meaning we speak German and Arabic, German and Farsi Dari and German and English. So it means that if I talk to you, for example, now, um, and I would speak English, then I would switch into German, ich würde den gleichen Satz nochmal auf Deutsch sagen und ihn wiederholen, and then I would go back to English and repeat the same thing, so that people keep having the new language in their ear, and also we are very, very afraid and aware of the fact that we might create a media ghetto, which we do not want to. So this is why we constantly have the German language present.
By saying media githo, did you mean only broadcasting or telling news in one language? That's what you mean by saying media githo. Yes. If you would only produce, let's say, in Arabic, right, um, it would be very, people feel excluded. Now, this way, it's not easy to listen both languages. I'm aware of that fact because you need to have patience. But there is the main temperature of the welcoming society in every report. So that is the message. You are now in a new reality. And also the Germans, it's open for them. So now we are trying, as they are there longer and longer, we are trying to reduce the number, of the amount of the of their mother tongue and try to increase the German language so that they can sort of or have to adapt. This is a very, very challenging initiative that you have started. So what are the key challenges that you have been facing that maybe are still facing um, in terms of your day-to-day -day operations or maybe even in terms of dealing with these issues because it's a, as you said it's hard well this um uh, so there are two challenges the one challenge is that we are learning we are really in a learning mode because um we also don't know these new citizens and we don't know where they come from if somebody says he comes from war or he has survived the balkan route i hear this but i don't know what it really means so uh so one challenge is, for example, is that some things, some they are sensitive about things which we wouldn't think of. So, for example, if we make comedy, which we also try to to do some entertainment, um, well, the Syrians, for example, sometimes are not fond of it because they say, "Why do you make fun of us?" So, I just to give you an example. So we were showing how do Germans behave on a train? How do Syrians behave on a train? Germans, if they get out their mobile, they might just listen and, and talk very quietly and you can hardly hear it. Syrians, well, they talk very loud. They might say, excuse me, in between, but they will continue no matter what. So we showed this. I think it was very nice because it showed both sides are funny at the same time. Oh, the Germans were laughing. The Syrians didn't like that at all. Because, and this is, you were asking for challenges, they are in a completely different psychological mode, right? So they have they have left everything. They're not reassured of themselves. They don't know where they actually are. And here we are making fun of them. So this is a challenge where we try to get closer. And the other thing, of course, is that we are not sure about which topics we can touch and which ones we shouldn't touch. Like uh, LGBT is very sensitive and we haven't dared to do that yet. We've produced one of them, but we haven't um, shared it yet on Facebook. So this is one part. And it's try and error, basically. And I think the refugees in our audience understands that we are trying and erroring. And then when we make a mistake, okay, we'd start again. The other thing is the majority um, is, the, is, the, is the German audience or um, our own uh, news corporation because they said, well, now you've been doing this for one and a half year. Um, so this is your first aid help, right? So this should be enough now. They have arrived. They've been here for a year and a half. How long do you want to go on with this? And I mean, this is a reasonable thought, I would say. But we know from all experts that the process of integration is nothing that you finish after one and a half years that you like, even if you have, even if you have, which most of them don't, even if you have an apartment, and even if you are in the German class, which also a lot of them are waiting for, and even if you are in some job construction, it doesn't mean at all that now you are there. So I think the second challenge is to is to show that this is a channel or that this is a, a news program that is worth continuing for some time. Yes, I think this is important. Um, 
And the, and the third challenge for us is that, of course, when we started a year ago, we had topics like, I don't know, like really uh, urgent aid. Um, how do you go to a doctor? How do you stand in line in Germany? Now they've been there for a year, so of course we have different issues. Like, for example, does my child in class have to participate in one of those class trips? Or what about um, sexual education? Why does a child have to participate in sexual education? This wasn't a problem a year ago. So the challenge, I think, for us is to grow with the audience. Biographically, they're getting adapted to this country, or at least some of them, not everybody, I guess. So the challenge is that we also develop with them. Uh, so this, I think this is a very fascinating thing you have been doing for, for, for refugees in terms of journalism, how journalism is serving the public in a very interesting way. So I want to transfer this question to other countries. Do you know whether other European, uh, let's say, media hubs are doing something similar to address or somehow try to help this integration process? Um, yes, because uh, we have tried to sort of build up a network. The European Broadcasting Union, EBU, was trying to put us together, bring us together. So there is some efforts in Greece, uh, done I think by the Greek um, r television and radio. Then in Sweden, where they also have a great amount, they have a radio show which has been broadcast a couple of times from my understanding, and in Austria. So wherever you have a great amount, and those were the welcoming countries, Austria, Sweden and us, um, they have created something. Now BBC was also interested, but as they hardly have any, hardly any, there is nothing. Uh, nothing specially for refugees, but they have, I mean, they have other experience with other stuff. But that's, that's my answer, I would say. Europe has been welcoming refugees and migrants for a very long time, and it has, it has been doing a great job in terms of integration, but maybe not such a great job. So if you would have to think about where have Europe failed or how can Europe improve in terms of integrating new migrants and becoming a more multicultural space for both Europeans and newcomers? Well, I don't agree when you say that Europe is welcoming. I don't see that where, um, if, I mean, there are some countries who have been exposed to massive migration. They had to be welcoming. At the beginning, Germany also tried not to be welcoming. For a couple of years, we did not help or support Italy a great lot. We did not support Greece. The only thing was that we um, did not send people back according to Dublin III. But if you look at Eastern Europe, I don't see where any of those countries is being welcoming, especially not Hungary, where I've just been, and especially not countries like Bulgaria or Serbia or Romania, all those Eastern European countries. I could not tell you where there would be any welcoming attitude, not at all. And then if we talk about welcoming attitude, um, if I look at Britain, I mean, look at Britain's great history. I, can't, I cannot tell in such a situation which we have now, I, I couldn't tell where there's a welcoming attitude if it comes to refugees in Britain, not at all. And the same with France. Now, France is closer. They don't have the, um, the sea in between. But France has, I think, last year, they had, uh, they had a small amount compared to what Germany has taken of refugees. So 
talking about European welcoming, I think is um, the countries which are exposed to the Mediterranean, yes, they have to be welcoming. But all the other countries, as soon as they get, um, they just get away with it. And they don't take anyone, not a lot. I mean, if you look at the numbers from Hungary, it's a shame. And I wouldn't even, really, I could say, what a, what a European country is this? Last year, in 2016, and I will repeat, I will say this very slowly so that everybody can precisely listen. In 2016, they had 11,000 applications for asylum from Afghanistan, 11,000. 27 to 7 were granted as temporary protection, 27. Okay, so coming back to your question where Europe was welcoming, there are countries which are welcoming and there are others and we are, I mean, we are one unity, but they are not welcoming at all. And not to speak about solidarity. So why is this happening? Why is this hypocrisy when on paper you have all these European values and on, in practice you have something different? Why is this happening? Well, I think this is... Um, I. I mean, there is plenty of reasons, and you might tell me one of them, because I suppose you're also from one of those uh, European countries, I guess, right? I'm from Armenia. From Armenia. Okay, so you're lucky. <laughs> you're out of this European game. So, um, why do European countries behave like that? I think it, there are diverse reasons. I, I guess there are um, different historical reasons, I suppose. So... Um, in Germany, I, I think the easiest is to answer for Germany, and then I would come to the Eastern European countries. I think in Germany there is still the sense that we have we have left the Second World War behind us, and uh, we were completely so we we lost all our morality and we lost all our national ethics or whatever. So we lost complete also touch with our, the feeling for our own nation. No pride, no nothing. What do you want to be pride of? First and second, I think also that Germans know what nationalistic experiences may end to. And I think Germans also know, if you suppress a minority, where this could lead to. And then you have a lot of Germans also who have this refugee experience in their own family. So all this together, I think, created a, a readiness or an openness. I mean, how else would you explain this, as I just described before, civil society that is really, not all of them, not at all, but there is a great number who's really reaching out. Now, the Eastern European countries, I suppose that they are so unstable themselves, at least this is my experience, there is so much poverty, like in Serbia, for example, high rate of unemployment. These are societies which have a very strong sense of solidarity. They survive communism and socialism somehow. But now, as they see that, well, we can hardly make it, why should others pass, just pass by and, and get something which we actually don't even get? We would love to be a member of the European Union. I think this is then a reason to say, well, you don't necessarily have to stay here. Now, looking at Hungary and Poland, for example, I don't have a proper explanation for this behavior at all because I think it's not according to any European uh, um, refugee conventions. It's not according to human rights what they do. But the problem is that until now... The other European countries let them get away with it. There is no, not much criticism to Hungary. Um, they don't say anything. So as long as other European countries like ourselves, as long as we don't say anything, they can just go on and eradicate values which Europe stands for. 
what can journalists do to foster this um, integration process, not only in Germany, you think, across, across Europe? How can Germany partner with civil society and have this integration process in a long-term perspective? Uh, Germany or other European countries? Other European countries, because I see that Germany is doing pretty well. Right now. Um, how can, what can journalists do so that... I mean, in terms of if, you, if we... Because you're a journalist, so it's, it's, you're a very experienced journalist. It's good to know your opinion about how can... In terms of what journalists do to serve the public, go beyond, I mean, at a, at a, at a European level, act in a way that they can foster somehow this integration. Well, it's very difficult for me to give advice to other journalists what they should report about. Well, that was a more of a, you know, maybe I got, I, well, I very much drifted away from my traditional set of questions, asking only one question that I'm usually asking. Ah, so okay. this was, this was, we can really skip yeah, this one. Yeah, I, I would because prefer that. I was, as a journalist, it was interesting for me how differently journalists can report about these stories to make, because we know that integration is a, is a key issue right now not only in Germany, but all in France, we saw what happened. As you say, Eastern Europe is kind of getting more close. So this is a really big question. At one point, when it seemed that the European Union had really worked really well on this, they have multiculturalism, they have 23 or whatever languages, everybody's whatever, they try to foster these policies, which would you know, promote multiculturalism. And in practice, it turned out that it's, it didn't work that the way they had it in their mind. So that that's where my question is coming from. In, in, in On paper, we have all these policies and we're promoting these policies. Mm -hmm. In reality, we see maybe a few countries in Europe that have really done a great, great job in terms of integration, not only newcomers, but also the old newcomers. Because this is a this is an ongoing wage. There, there was a, this, um, well, this uh, humanitarian crisis in, in 2015, but before that, the, the flow of migrants have, have never really stopped to Europe. Oh, never. So if you look at Portugal, Portugal has done such a great job in integrating all people who are coming from Africa, you know, these old mm -hmm. colonies. Mm -hmm. And France hasn't done that great job. And all these old rooms are kind of now getting open with this new, with this new crisis. And it's, 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 it's not something that was just caused by the by this new flow of migrants, but it, it was an open wound. That's, you know, it's um, mm -hmm. because the integration itself is a process and it has never been, I wouldn't say properly done, but it has probably doesn't have an end. It's a process, but... Uh, Borders are always open. I mean, you can't yeah, protect all the coasts. All the coasts. That's why I kind of have this question for you as a journalist who kind of focuses on my refugees and that was very interesting but we can totally skip with this question because as I said it's it it was not included in the set of questions we usually ask and we can yeah but I can think about it for a moment of I have course. to think about it what I would advise or what I would say what others should do let me think a moment because you have done such a great job creating this one and a few countries are doing kind of similar things but um Maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody from the European Commission will listen to this interview podcast and then, I don't know, this is a great idea. Why wouldn't we do something at the European level? Mm -hmm. A European thing. When you would have not only German and um, 
German and Arabic, but you will have France and Arabic, French and Arabic, you will have Spanish and Arabic. There is a huge migration problem uh, on the border with Spain. So I just, I just had an idea which was totally... I try to stick to myself. So what do I know? Okay, so, so I would say there are three points for it, which from my point of view are important. The first thing is when you talk about migration, because it's very closely attached to xenophobia and racism, um, and it's also at the same time uh, attached to naivety, saying everybody has to come in. So I think to get it straight, facts and figures are always very important to see um, to see the global dimension of it. Who is where? How many actually come in? So that's point one. Point two is definitely keep in mind the global dimension. So if we talk about what the UN keeps saying us that 60 million are on are internally displaced and are escaping and um, we have never had as much, then I think we have to see the global dimension to understand, yes, we are part of it, and now we have to think about what our job is, what we should do. So keep in mind the global dimension, I would say. And the third thing is something, I was very often amazed that this hasn't been done. I was in Calais, I was in Edumania, I was in Paris, I was now in Belgrade, going to those hotspots. And Calais, um, you know where Calais is, a French border protecting England from those immigrants, for those uh, refugees. In Calais, they call this place where the refugees were, which they now cleared up, um, they called it jungle. And when I was there, I thought, yes, they call it jungle because nobody has a precise idea and no precise information what is actually going on. Everybody like acts according to rumors. So I say this to you, you say to the next one, and then off you go. The same thing now in Belgrade. And I'm really irritated that, for example, the European Union, the European Commission does not come up with a news channel for these refugees who are on their way to provide them with some information. There is, we do this, now we do this for Germany and we are being, being paid by German viewers and German audience. But for example, we don't have this for the whole of Europe. So we know that people also watch us before they leave. But we can only provide people with information, right information. We don't want to be smugglers or anything, but right information inform about the legal framework for Germany. Now, if we do not want that many people to get trapped on the Balkan route and rest and, and really be completely helpless and depressive in front of this Hungarian border and there will be more and more people being trapped there, I think it would be the responsibility of the European Commission at least to provide these refugees which are coming in their languages with information so that this doesn't happen. This could be something that could be done. And my last question, in what kind of Europe would you like to live in the future? Oh, God. <laughs> That's your that's your vision of Europe, the the Europe you would strive to see in a few years. I would say part of the vision where I would like to see Europe to be in a few years, I can already see because I have three children. The second of them right now is in Romania. He's living with Europeans in this five Europeans in this apartment. He he's serving in a hospital and in an elementary school in Romania. So for me, this is Europe. He saw the demonstrations happening a couple of weeks ago. He said it was my duty to support these people. He felt as a European. He could go there freely for a year to, experience, to make experience, to support their civil society. He will come back with a new experience. This is for me Europe, and this is a vision of Europe. And I, I wish that this is the way we can dream of and, and put into practice, I guess. Thank you so much for this interesting conversation. You're welcome.
You've been listening to the EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C. 